This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, August 30th. I'm Kate Trinko. And I'm Daniel Davis. Facebook is facing a new controversy over censorship, this time from within its own ranks. Dozens of employees at Facebook have banded together, saying their company has created a work environment hostile to political diversity. We'll discuss that major story with Rob Bluey, our editor-in-chief. Plus, in the age of Tinder, more young people are rediscovering the value of slow dating. We'll discuss that trend and more. But first, we'll cover a few of the top headlines. When Judge Kavanaugh is confirmed, White House counsel Don McGahn will be stepping down. Trump tweeted Wednesday the news of McGahn's leaving and added, quote, I have worked with Don for a long time and truly appreciate his service. McGahn has been involved in answering questions related to special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia probe and last year reportedly threatened to quit rather than fire Mueller, according to a report with anonymous sources in The New York Times. Well, Wednesday was a big night for Florida that yielded some political surprises. In the Democratic primary for governor, Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum came out on top in a major upset over former Congresswoman Gwen Graham, defeating her by three points. Gillum had enjoyed the backing of Bernie Sanders. He supports, among other things, abolishing ICE, a $15 minimum wage, and expanding Medicaid. On the Republican side, Ron DeSantis, a congressman, secured the nomination for governor as expected, and Governor Rick Scott secured the GOP nod for Senate. In Arizona, the Senate GOP primary for Senator Jeff Flake's seat, not the late Senator John McCain's seat, was won by Representative Martha McSally, who defeated Kelly Ward and Sheriff Joe Arpaio. McSally, who currently represents Arizona's 2nd District, is an Air Force veteran who flew fighter planes in combat. Well, just a day after President Trump announced a preliminary trade deal with Mexico, Canada is voicing its optimism about joining the deal. Talks between the U.S. and Canada kicked off on Wednesday morning. Canada's Foreign Minister, Christia Freeland, spoke to reporters. Throughout the summer, and you know, we are working uh, extremely hard, extremely intensely, and we continue to be optimistic about the progress that we can make this week. Google is planning to skip a highly anticipated hearing on Capitol Hill next Wednesday on social media practices and Russian interference. Google CEO Sundar Pichai will not be at the hearing, and the person Google offered as a sub isn't good enough, according to Senator Richard Burr, a Republican from North Carolina. At the Senate Intelligence Committee hearing will be Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Facebook's Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg. Meanwhile, after President Trump tweeted Tuesday that Google was biased, the company responded in a statement. Quote, we don't bias our results toward any political ideology. Well, last week, two Iranian men were indicted for allegedly spying on U.S. and Israeli facilities. But a top GOP congressman says they could just be the tip of the iceberg. Congressman Peter Roskam of Illinois said Iran has likely stationed multiple agents across the United States to conduct intel operations, a development he said was enabled by the Obama administration. Roscom told the Washington Free Beacon, quote, This is not a surprise, and this is a result of the Iran regime getting financial support from the Obama administration in the Iran deal. He went on to say, quote, Unfortunately, it's all too predictable. Give a, ma- a malevolent regime huge amounts of cash with no restraining influence, and this is what happens. 
That money from the Iran deal uh, he referred to was $1.7 billion, along with unfreezing Iranian assets. The letter written by former apostolic nuncio Carla Maria Vigano, accusing Pope Francis of knowing about former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick's inappropriate sexual misconduct and an alleged sanction placed on McCarrick by Pope Benedict XVI, continues to make waves. Cardinal Blaise Kupich of Chicago said this to NBC's Chicago affiliate. The Pope has a bigger agenda. He's got to get on with other things of talking about the environment and uh, protecting uh, migrants and carrying on the work of the church. We're not going to go down a rabbit hole on this. Meanwhile, Bishop Thomas John Paprocki of the Springfield, Illinois Diocese called Pope Francis's refusal to make a comment not adequate and said, given the gravity of the content and implications of the former nuncio statement, it is important for all the facts of this situation to be fully reviewed, vetted, and carefully considered. Toward that end, Pope Francis, Vatican officials, and the current apostolic nuncio should make public the pertinent files indicating who knew what and when about Archbishop, formerly Cardinal, McCarrick, and provide the accountability that the Holy Father has promised. Well, up next, we'll take a closer look at Facebook's diversity debate. Did you know you can now listen to all of our events through SoundCloud or just by visiting our events page on heritage.org? You now have access to hundreds of events and compelling discussions on policy issues from your car, on the train, or the comfort of your own home. Visit heritage.org events for more information or search for the Heritage Foundation on SoundCloud. Is there a revolution brewing at Facebook? The New York Times reports that there is now an online group with about 100 members called FBers for Political Diversity. Senior Facebook engineer Brian Amaridge posted last week on an internal message board for the tech giant that Facebook had a problem with political diversity. Quote, we are a political monoculture that's intolerant of different views, Amaridge wrote. We claim to welcome all perspectives but are quick to attack often in mobs, anyone who presents a view that appears to be in opposition to left-leaning ideology. Joining us to discuss is none other than Rob Bluey, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal, Vice President of Communications at the Heritage Foundation, and most importantly, a co-host of this podcast. Rob, what did you think about the news that Facebook Gasp has people on the right working there? <laughs> well, you certainly don't hear about that often, do you? So it was uh, it did come as a surprise. I think it's an encouraging development that you have employees speaking out internally at Facebook. I mean, certainly I'd much rather have change from within Facebook than the government or some other their outside entity, um, you know, in a, in a position of power like Congress trying to pass a new law regulating them. I think as conservatives, we need to be, you know, guarded about that. And we're going to have some some hearings in Washington soon, which uh, one of Facebook's top executives will testify at. So let me just say this also, um, you know, it's important to, as you said, Kate, uh, look at the name of the group, which is political diversity. So we don't necessarily know if all 100 of these people are conservatives. I imagine that there are at least 100 conservatives at a company of 25,000 people. Oh, it's in California. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope anyways. But I think that the other thing uh, to keep in mind here is this seems like it's as much of a a backlash against the PC culture that some of these companies like Facebook uh, exhibit as as much as it is about, you know, pushing a conservative ideology. In fact, the, the gentleman who started this this group um, said he subscribes to Ayn Rand and her philosophy, which isn't exactly conservative. Right. 
Well, you know, this is an interesting, there's been a trajectory in recent years at Facebook about this kind of thing. Last year, we saw uh, James Damore, you know, write an internal memo. It was about exactly a year ago, actually. Right, this for, happened. at Google, right. And right. he got fired at Google. Um, and in uh, this year, obviously, Facebook has gotten a lot more criticism from Congress, from the president about its external policing of, of Facebook posts. Now it's happening within Facebook's walls. It, it makes you wonder if this is leading to some kind of boiling point. Well, that's that's a good point. So, so just so our listeners understand, so basically, what happened at Facebook is you you have groups on Facebook. So anybody on the outside who uses Facebook, like you, like us, we can create a group and we can you know promote whatever uh, ideas we're wanting to do on that group. Facebook, it for internal purposes for its employees, uh, employs a private thing like that that operates in much the same way. So this gentleman created this group internally for employees and posted this description about what it is and. And in that uh, in that description, I mean, yeah, he, you're you're absolutely right. He went through a variety of complaints. Um, I'll read his his quote directly. He said, "They called me a transphobe when I called out our corporate art for being politically radical." So, um, you know, clearly there's been some cases there in the, the California headquarters of Facebook where some people have felt uncomfortable uh, because of some of the political comments that have been made, and that's why I think it's encouraging. You did have James Damore speak out. I hope that others will uh, feel empowered to, to share their views and uh, and won't let the the people culture that I think so often takes over these places uh, win the day. Now I'm really curious what that piece of art was. <laughs> he got in well, trouble I, for saying so, he was trans. So from my, from my, I've actually visited the the headquarters. Um, oh, right, right. As you might remember, I, I had the opportunity to go out there with uh, with former senator and former Heritage Foundation president Jim Demint, and uh, and from what I understand, uh, there is a there's a room at the at, at Facebook where employees are allowed to basically post art. So I think it was an employee driven and it could be anything from Black Lives Matter to promoting, you know, um, in this case, maybe a gay marriage or same sex marriage type of thing. You could put a Trump poster up there for all I know. But in any case, uh, we'll have to get to the bottom of that. I think it's a good investigative story <laughs> for the Daily Signal if we can get access. But I think the uh, the one thing that, that struck me about this that um, seems to be lost in some of this is we remember Former Senator John Kyle was hired by Facebook earlier this year to do an audit. And what got a lot of attention was the work that he was doing on the outside. So um, he spoke to conservative groups. Uh, we, we talked to him uh, from the Heritage Foundation perspective and shared some of our uh concerns um, that we've heard from our own readers. We've done stories, I mean, here at the Daily Signal. So I, I you know, we passed along examples like that. The other thing that comes in place with Kyle's investigation, though, is an internal review of Facebook's culture. So that's the one thing that we haven't heard so much about. So Kyle will also be looking at the culture and hopefully providing some recommendations to the leadership of Facebook where they can find improvements. Well, it sounds like now is the, the perfect time for that to happen. Um, you know, there's over 100 people in this group, as the Wall Street Journal notes. Um, this is sort of out of the bag now. We all know about it. So... It'd be really hard, conceivably, for Facebook to shut it down. Um, what do you think Facebook does in the coming months? Well, Sheryl Sandberg, the, the second in charge at Facebook, um, so right, right under Mark Zuckerberg, is going to be in Washington testifying. And Zuckerberg, of course, faced uh, a barrage of questions earlier this year. You might remember the exchange with Senator Ted Cruz, in which Cruz, you know, openly accused them of suppressing conservative content. So I think Facebook needs to ver tread carefully. I think shutting down a group like this um, would be uh, an unwise move, probably in the in advance of hearings, because you know lawmakers would just grasp at something like that and say that it proves their point. 
Um, I think that these tech companies are going to have to answer some tough questions. It's also, I think, a pretty important moment for conservatives to step back and think about the types of questions that they want to ask at these hearings because they don't want to find themselves in a situation where the Democrats are trying to use it as leverage to regulate these tech companies, which we know is not going to help conservatives in the long run. It's just going to distort the free market and and uh, take us down a path that we don't want to go. But first, I mean, I would say in Facebook's almost defense, you know, they do have Peter Thiel on their board. They He's do. a libertarian. Um, I believe he spoke at the Republican convention a couple of years back. And Mark Zuckerberg has taken enormous heat for him being on the board. He was a Trump supporter. And people wanted him off the board, and he refused to do that. So I will say that, you know, Facebook has shown some openness. It does seem like Zuckerberg and Sandberg are personally pretty far to the left. But, um, you know, hopefully they're acting from a spirit of goodwill. And I think also this reminds me of all the conversations that conservatives have had about media bias over the years. And it's often a similar thing. that You have a culture where there isn't necessarily intentional bias, but the numbers are so skewed that, uh, this bias sort of becomes part of the culture because literally no one ever brings up the opposite position of, yeah, maybe transgender issues or other controversial issues. And I think if Facebook is smart, they will hope that this group actually grows and they will encourage people like have a debate, have a discussion. Don't just say this is racist or transphobic, like make your case. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's so important that uh, that they leverage this uh, in a positive way. In fact, the group description, the internal group description, the one that was that's been circulating, um, cites Peter Thiel by name. Kate, so it says we reg- he's talking about his fellow colleagues now. He goes, we regularly propose removing Thiel from our board because he supported Trump. We're quick to suggest firing people who turn out to be misunderstood and even quicker to conclude our colleagues are bigots. So I think some of it is that uh, kind of confirmation bias. You're not associated with any conservatives, but let's, you know, just as as you noted on uh, on the show, there are some people as that student in that in that one classroom demonstrated. Yes, the Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, the Sacramento. There are people who are just so wedded to their beliefs and will not even tolerate conservative views that I imagine that that, that the experiences that he cites in his in his letter here are true. And there are people who don't want to they just, you know, want to take it to that extreme level. No, and I would just say on that note, as you know, I um, grew up, it wasn't Facebook headquarters at the time, but my parents lived basically right across the bay from Facebook headquarters. And That area, that part of California, right between San Jose and San Francisco, is off the charts liberal. It's very unusual to have conservative beliefs, even Republican beliefs in that area. And if you really want to live in a bubble where you're not forced to ever interact with people who disagree with you, it's really where Facebook is. So it doesn't surprise me maybe that people would be this intolerant there. Well, and I wonder if if Facebook takes some positive steps internally this could actually give them some better perspective and help them be more uh, prepared to 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 treat everyone fairly outside of Facebook. People who are using Facebook, um, because it seems that so much of the um, accusations of bias, that sort of thing, stems from a Facebook being in a bubble. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg noted when he came to Congress, we are kind of in a bubble, and and he said, I need to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to put a check on that. Um, so yeah. maybe maybe this is that check. 
Jack Dorsey at Twitter said the same thing recently about about he acknowledged his own liberal bias and the fact that he doesn't associate with conservatives. Now, I think that they've taken some steps. For instance, the Heritage Foundation's Resource Bank Conference this year featured somebody from Facebook who faced a barrage of questions from angry conservatives about suppression of content and bias and a range of other things. So, you know, there are there are instances where they're trying to do some outreach and and make those take those steps. Um, our, our colleague Genevieve Wood um, was at a meeting with, with Jack Dorsey at Twitter, you know, where he was trying to uh, reach out to conservatives in new ways. But I think it needs to go much deeper than that. It can't just be these one and done type of events. It needs to be a consistent basis. And I think as we've experienced the, the, at the Daily Signal ourselves, I mean, we've seen how Facebook's algorithm has changed the way that our content reaches an audience uh, significantly different from 2014 and 2015 to today. And, you know, Kate, I have no evidence that they're changing the algorithm in ways that, that harm us that, from other publishers. But no doubt um, it's created challenges for for, for our, our organization um, as, as we disseminate our news. Right. Um, absolutely. So I think it just goes to, you know, say how important these networks are. There really is no competitor right now to Facebook that's viable. And that's, um, you know, that is what it is. But I think it's also important to remember in this conversation, we haven't talked about so much the left's pressure on Facebook. And I think, you know, that's maybe not as much on our minds. But I know that when you read liberal outlets or liberal tweeters, you always see it's Facebook's fault that Trump won, like fake news on Facebook. And, you know, you'll read these angry columns where people say, you know, the republic is lost because of Mark Zuckerberg, essentially. So I think it's important in a way for conservatives to keep speaking out about their concerns, because I have no doubt Facebook and its largely liberal employee base are constantly hearing from their liberal friends and family you know, you guys are destroying America. So it's good for the counter push. Well, and thank you for raising that, because one of the things I didn't mention when I, I cited the John Kyle example. So John Kyle's a former Republican senator from Arizona who now works at a law firm, Covington and Burling. He's got a team of conservatives who work with him. So they're the ones doing the audit on the conservative bias question for Facebook. But Facebook at the same time, I think out of pressure from the left, hired a, a civil rights uh, civil rights leader um, by the name of Laura Murphy and the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights to do an evaluation on the left to make sure that Facebook didn't have the same <laughs> concerns on the left. So everything needs to be balanced <laughs> when it comes to, to Facebook. So it just goes to show you there is pressure from the left. And as, as we don't talk about it as much on the right here, um, they are just as angry, I think, in some respects. I can't wait for the report that they found the one employee who still uses plastic plastic grocery bags and not reusable or something. <laughs> that person's going to be a major victim. Well, we'll keep following this story for sure in the weeks ahead. Um, Rob, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Signal, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, more and more millennials are finding themselves frustrated by the artificial nature of dating apps. The classic Tinder app continues to gain users worldwide, but some young people are creating new avenues. The Wall Street Journal details several individuals using new apps like Hinge, which is more involved than Tinder and includes icebreaker questions and more detailed personal profiles, uh, and people like Daryl George, a 39-year-old in Atlanta, who's involved in a dating club that is crazy, not uh, based on technology. And to discuss this issue of great import to our society is Thalia Ramversat, our producer who um, manages this podcast from behind the glass. Thalia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me back on. It's always a pleasure. So, Thalia, um, 
this is interesting to watch. Um, it's a trend that I want to ask you first off. Is this Tinder thing, is it a bubble that you think is going to burst, starting with the young people? I absolutely do. I don't think this is something that we're going to be seeing down the line um, for generations to come. And my main reason for that is, and call me a bit old-fashioned and slightly sentimental, but being someone who loves the idea of storytelling, when we are entering into this age of people meeting on dating apps or websites or social media, we're running into this issue of what's what's the story of how they met. You're going to have to have to be telling people, how did you end up meeting? And so personally, I don't want to be the ones telling my kids, I met on a dating app. I met on a social media app. So I think that that bubble is going to burst and people are, are going to go back to the old fashioned way of dating, which is meeting people face to face. So actually, I have to say, I while I share your affection for meet cute stories, I do think there are. I mean, I know people who married someone they met online and are very happy. And I mean, to a certain extent, the big thing is that you meet someone and you like them, which seems very hard sometimes. But I think dating apps specifically, I've been on some of the swipe ones. It's just overwhelming. There are so many choices. And yet you really don't get at any of the important things about someone. So I could definitely see those getting out. But Thalia, we also brought you on today because outside of the podcast yesterday, for some reason, we got into a very intense debate about arranged marriages, which is an idea that I've had several female friends float after another bad first date. And Thalia, you indicated you thought maybe a little bit more old fashioned attitudes was the way to go. It's interesting to me that you brought up that you have friends that may be... You know what? I do have friends, Celia, <laughs> and that... <laughs> may be in favor of the idea of arranged marriages, because that's refreshing to me, because I always feel like I'm the only one as an advocate for arranged marriages, especially as my, at my age, which is of the younger generation. <laughs> of the young and, variety. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, no, and so here's my opinion. Here's my quick thought. On arranged marriages, I don't agree with the idea of families already choosing who their their child's suitor is going to be, whether the child likes it or not. I Also, stop calling them the child. They're, like, of age. Well, it's the, it's the parents. The, arranged marriages involve the parents, heavily involve the parents, right? right? right. So it's but we're not talking this medieval 9- and 12-year-old getting no, no, married. No, no, no. Child no. in relation to parents. like Exactly. I, I get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify. No, I am in favor of parents setting up their adult children on uh, dates or even choosing suitors that they think that their kids would match well with and then having that that person go out on a date with them and seeing if there is chemistry. If there's not, then you move on. But I'm not completely against parents setting up their children and choosing, you know, I think this would be a good match for my child, mainly because I trust my parents enough personally to to be like, okay, I know you well enough and I know who you would be interested in or what you would be interested in. So, but what you just described, that wouldn't technically be arranged marriage in the classic sense, right? Like it, it sounds more like correct. it sounds more like arranged and assisted dating. Right, okay, but assisted if, dating sounds like you're in a retirement home. But. So, so yeah, but if this assisted dating, <laughs> arranged dating as you so call it turns into a marriage, then it it somewhat is an arranged marriage. But I mean, I a do new think version, but Actually, that would be interesting. And there is one blogger I follow who she met her husband because her mother met the guy at church and was like, I have a daughter and like showed him a picture and was like, add her on Facebook. 
they're married. They have a kid. It's a little bit weird, but it worked. That's um, a great example. I mean, honestly, what I felt this article really showed is the system is broken. <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think there are a lot of people who maybe want to be married and settle down and aren't. And I think that in some ways it is the overwhelmingness of choice right now. And I think that's partly because our culture has changed so much. We were saying um, that for us three, religion would be a big factor in dating. But for a lot of more secular Americans, like they don't need to worry about the culture. They don't need to worry about the religion. They don't like it's almost like it's so boundless who you fall in love with now, as long as you love them. Like the feeling is the most important thing, not the foundation for a shared life that no one can ever decide. But isn't it so interesting how with these dating apps and websites, you feel that you have this unlimited access to all of these people. But simultaneously, if you shut the computer off or delete the app, you then feel completely on the opposite end of that spectrum where you feel like you can't meet anyone. Unless you like hit on them at Old Navy. Exactly. Unless you're Susan from the article (laughs) and you hand out your business cards to men that you find attractive in Old Navy. Which I just I have so many questions. So, Daniel, do you have any thoughts from the opposite perspective? (laughs) I was going to say if a guy did that, it would be not as well received. Not in this Me Too movement. Not in the Me Too era. How would you feel? Although a business card is pretty But if a girl gave you a business card on, I don't know, wherever. Oh. Wherever you lurk. I mean,. I mean, she was cute. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so you're not, you're I'm not okay with that. You're not on the side of men who are completely against women coming up to them. Some men are like, I don't want a woman to hit on me. I want to. Do oh it. no, I don't want to feel like it's an aggressive kind of thing. Sure, but if it's like graceful, you know, that is that that has a real charm to it. Okay, well, if you like Daniel and see him in Old Navy, hand out the business. And you're a Baptist Reformed <laughs> Christian. Well, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation. Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and please leave us a review or a rating on iTunes to give us any feedback. We'll see you again tomorrow. You've been listening to the Daily Signal podcast, executive produced by Kate Trinko and Daniel Davis. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.